Do you know that certain peptides can benefit those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's? If you want to learn more about how peptides can help with thyroid autoimmunity and other chronic conditions, then you'll want to check out the brand new Peptide Summit hosted by Dr. Jenny Flagar. In fact, peptides play a huge role in helping Dr. Jenny overcome her Hashimoto's condition. To register for the free Peptide Summit, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash peptides. Thank you for joining me on the Save My Thyroid podcast, where I help people save their thyroid and regain their health. My name is Dr. Eric Osansky, and if you have hyperthyroidism, then you will especially benefit from these episodes. If you have hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you will also find many of the episodes to be valuable, including this one where I interviewed Dr. Neil Paulvin as we chatted about low-dose naltrexone, peptides, and even spent a few minutes talking about craniosacral therapy. Dr. Paulvin has a busy practice in New York City, and just to let you know, he was in his office while conducting the interview, and so I apologize if you hear any background noise such as sirens, horns honking, or taxicab drivers cursing. Please make sure you check out the post-episode chat after the outro music, as I'll expand on a conversation about LDN, peptides, as well as craniosacral therapy. Anyway, here's my interview with Dr. Neil Paulvin. Welcome to the Save My Thyroid podcast, hosted by Dr. Eric Osansky. To stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics, visit SaveMyThyroid.com. The following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. Now let's head to the show. All right. So with me, I have Dr. Neil Paulvin, who is an innovative physician in the study of functional medicine, integrative sports medicine, regenerative medicine, osteopathic manipulation, and craniosacral therapy. He works with patients not only treat, but find the root cause of autoimmune issues, thyroid and hormone imbalances, digestive and gut disorders, as well as a number of inflammatory-based conditions, uniquely combining osteopathic manipulation and functional medicine to fast-track healing, recovery, and biomechanics to progress athleticism. And thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Paulvin. Oh, no, great. Thanks to be here. Should be fun. Yeah, definitely look forward to chatting with you about low-dose naltrexone as well as peptides. And so before we do this, can you give a little bit of background, how you started maybe doing functional medicine and how you got into prescribing LDN to some patients as well as the peptides? Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I got into a lot of this initially because I was dealing with a lot of what I what do you call chronic illness patients, Lyme, fibromyalgia, autoimmune issues. And there wasn't a lot of traditional meds that always worked. I didn't have a lot of side effects associated with it. So I went on to kind of go down the rabbit hole of some more alternative treatments that had some good data behind it. And that's how I found about lowest naltrexone, which has been studied in a lot of conditions, as well as the peptides, which I've learned over the last two or three years have incredible benefits for a multiple different amount of conditions. All right. And why don't you just start out by, for those who are not familiar with LDN, with low-dose naltrexone, if you could explain what that is. Yeah, sure. Low-dose naltrexone is a derivative or a breakdown product. It's a medicine that has been used for years for patients with opioid abuse or alcohol use disorder. And that's used at much higher doses, 50, 100 milligrams. 
And they found even at those doses that there were some other benefits, kind of like how a lot of medicines are found just kind of by accident, a little bit of serendipity. And so what they found was that those medicines were potentially helping with some immune issues, maybe help with weight loss, were helping with inflammation. And then, but they didn't want the side effects that some of the higher doses could achieve. So doctors went lower and lower and lower to find out kind of where that happy place was where you can kind of quote unquote microdose it, but still get the benefits that naltrexone can provide. It could be given via pill, can be given via dropper. There are some nose sprays, but it's mostly common given at a pill, given a bedtime, because that's when it works the best via the mechanism that it works. And yeah, that's kind of where it comes from. Again, the one that patients need to, people out there need to know is you can't take it if you're on some type of narcotic pain medication like Percocet oxycodone. You should not be taking the medication because it will put you into withdrawal. That's the one downside to taking it. But otherwise, really minimal side effects and works like I said, over such a broad swath of conditions. Okay, great. And can I ask how long you've been using it in your practice approximately? Uh, that's a good question at this point. Probably close to 10 years or so, eight to 10 years. Okay. Wow. So you've been using quite a while then. And, you know, so dosing. So as you mentioned, you start with low doses and how low do you start? Do you start with like one milligram or half a milligram or? It's all, I mean, kind of the preface for all of this, low dose is kind of an art. It's not just everybody takes the same exact dose. So we started a low dose anywhere between 0.25 milligrams and one and a half milligrams usually. A little bit lower in patients who have autoimmune issues, especially things like Hashimoto's, because part of that, by resetting the immune system, it can affect their thyroid hormones and you may need to change their medications around. So you don't want them crashing or going hyper on you, one or the other. So you want to take some baby steps with it. If you're doing it for pain or weight loss, you usually be a little bit more aggressive with it because there's not as many of the side effects. But so it's usually in that, that's usually the sweet spot in terms of where we start the dosing at. And do you gradually increase the dosing with everybody? Or like if someone's doing good, let's say, if they start on, you know, like one milligram and they're doing okay, would you keep them on that? No, I usually, it depends on the symptoms. Usually I'm going to keep pushing for a little bit to find out where they're going to get the max benefit with minimal side effects. Yeah, so I usually, very few people do I, do I just keep on the maintenance dose, probably less than 5%. Okay. And then like how frequently would you, on average, increase the dose? Would it be something like every two weeks or every month or two? No, it's usually every one to two weeks depends on the patient. Patients who are more sensitive or more worried about it, you go a little bit slower every two or three weeks. People who are trying to really progress quickly and don't tend to have side effects, you can probably do every week to 10 days. Okay. And then what's the highest dose that would really be considered like low-dose naltrexone? I mean, that keeps going up and up and up. I mean, there's no rules now on it. I mean, I know other doctors who hit low double digits. And those are things you definitely want to make sure you're working with somebody who's really experienced and handling it and they're doing it for the right reasons. I mean, there is prescription medication out there called Contrave, which is LDN eight and a half twice a day. So you bet what, 17. So, I mean, for the weight loss, you are pushing a little bit higher. And I'm all about what I call it. The delta, I mean, the point is going to be if I put someone on seven milligrams, are they going to get a much bigger benefit by me putting them on 13 or 12 milligrams? Usually it's not a huge difference. You're going to get usually potentially more side effects than benefit. So my top is usually right around double digits, like 10. I do have a couple of patients on higher, but that's not common, at least for me. Okay. How about like a typical autoimmune patient? And again, I know it will vary, but 
would they at times exceed like five milligrams? Not usually. I mean, if it's just an immune patient, it's usually lower is better because it's just with them, it's a, such a domino effect. There's so many other things going on that I don't see much benefit beyond that unless I'm trying to treat something else. Yeah. The reason I ask is just because I've been used to over the years when other practitioners have recommended LDN, probably the max dose would be like 4.5, 5 milligrams. And then recently I had a patient she was taking 7.5 milligrams, which was the highest I've seen for one of my patients. And then I hear you saying that in some cases, maybe not autoimmune, but other cases that they might take in double digits. You mentioned the 8.5 milligrams twice a day in that certain situations, but it sounds like autoimmunity, you tend to keep them on the lower, lower end. Yeah. I mean, again, we tend to keep them on the lower end just to limit side effects. Again, we also have the buffer where we know is given it six to 10 times a dose, and there's not really many issues with it. And we also know now that the prescription meds are out there, and that's given without many side effects, that we have a pretty broad swath to go for, playing with house money there. So, Have you seen any difference with different types of autoimmune conditions? I'm guessing you probably see a, a good amount of Hashimoto's patients, but do you see also like similar effects with people with rheumatoid arthritis and multiple sclerosis? Are there some autoimmune conditions where it just doesn't seem to be as effective? No. Again, I mean, everybody's different. I mean, some people could have inflammation. Some people may have a mast cell issue. Some people may have brain fog or some cognitive issue. Everybody's different. So it's very hard to kind of compare A to B. I mean, I've seen an improvement throughout the spectrum and all my autoimmune patients. I've kind of adopted what I've branded this, like the, the safety deposit box method, meaning you have to kind of turn all the keys at one time on a lot of these patients. It's not just regulating the immune system. You, you got to heal the gut. You want to deal with inflammation. Do you want to deal in terms of whatever cognitive issues they have? And it works better that way and also lets you keep lower doses of certain medications. So, I mean, I can't say that. It's definitely worked in pretty much all of them. But again, a lot of this depends on, again, luckily Hashimoto's usually has less systemic complaints than multiple sclerosis does, or even RA. RA is much more noticeable. I mean, a lot of patients don't know. I would say at least half my Hashimoto's patients, they don't know, even know they have Hashimoto's until I tell them that. But most patients with RA or MS, unfortunately, know there's something going on. And those symptoms are usually, unfortunately, more life-altering a lot of times in Hashimoto's, at least from what I have. And I have patients from all over the world who I kind of see for these different things. So that's the one thing. Again, again, Hashimoto is, or is usually by itself a little bit simpler to treat than a multiple sclerosis. But that's the broad category. But they can help any of them. And they'll all usually see some improvement. And I'm glad you mentioned that you don't just give LDN. It sounds like you do a lot more, you know, as you said, try to, if the person has a leaky gut or other gut issues and, you know, if they have cognitive issues, I mean, you pretty much do what a functional medicine practitioner is supposed to do. Just try to address the, you know, triggers, underlying imbalances. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're looking at their labs, their hormones, their lifestyle, their sleep, their exercise. So we're doing all those things. So it's definitely not just one thing. In most patients, it's doing a bunch of different things and just like working from the ground up. But with all my patients, you got to start with the foundation and then add one or two things and go stepwise and stepwise. If you try to do a hundred different things, it doesn't work. And do you put pretty much all your autoimmune patients on LDN or does it depend on the person? I would say a majority are on it. 
just because I find that it works. What I like to do is find things that work on a lot of their complaints and it's going to help their immune system. It's going to help their pain. And we know it can help heal the gut. So it does so many things with very minimal side effects. I love it because it checks all those boxes. So I would say a majority. I mean, some people don't like the side effects. Some people are on narcotic pain medications and just can't take it. I have patients now, ketamine has become more prevalent, at least in my area. And that makes it a little bit of a contraindication. But most of the patients who can use it do. Now, you said some people don't like the side effects. And from what I understand, there's not a lot of side effects. One of them I hear is sleep. Some people do have sleep issues. And then if they're taking it at night, they might have to take it during a day. Can you talk about that? And if there's any other side effects people should be aware of? The main three I tell people are you're going to have problems with sleeping usually the first day or two. That's because of the way it's um, affecting the cytokines in the brain and the other hormones that it works on that it may affect sleep. I have a lot of patients who tell me, wow, I slept the best I've ever slept. The other one that we do, you get occasionally some nausea. If you dose it the right way, I very, very rarely see that. The other one that I've gotten a decent amount of time, probably like one to 3%, is you get dreams like you're on like some type of psychedelic. That tends to go away over the first day or two as the brain adapts to it. I've had one patient have to stop it just because the dreams didn't go away. And that's over out of thousands of patients on it. So, yeah. How about headaches? Are headaches, I guess, a common symptom of LDN? I think I have had a couple of patients where they said headaches again. So I can't, can't say it's common, even though I can't also say that I have a lot of patients on LDN since I don't personally prescribe it. I mean, I've seen it. It's kind of, honestly, it's not chicken and egg. It's not the right expression. It's just, is that from the medicine? Is that getting adjust? I don't know. I mean, I've had probably less than two hands full of patients ever have that symptom. I mean, again, if you look at the side effects from anything, you can get one person who gets this, but I don't really see it. Yeah. Okay. So it's mainly, I mean, the big one is the sleep. And again, not everybody experiences sleep issues. Like you said, some people take it, they actually you know, sleep better. So the other one I've seen occasionally, I know it's reported in a lot in the group since usually because of other reasons is weight gain, even though it's used for weight loss. But a lot of times what's happening with those patients is addressing their immune system or regulating the hormones. And the other doctors are not getting on top of the hormone part. And then there's some weight gain associated with it. That's the other side effect I've seen sometimes, but that's about it. For your Hashimoto's patients, do you have people who I know you mentioned earlier where they might be able to lower the dose just because the effects of the LDN on the immune system. Do you have people who are able to completely get off the thyroid hormone replacements by taking LDN? I mean, mean, the answer, I guess, would be yes. I mean, a lot of cases, I'm not as aggressive with the thyroid medicine initially, Mm -hmm. unless their numbers are horrible. I think the majority of the patients I see their antibodies are worse than the thyroid hormone is. If you look just at their thyroid numbers specifically, they're not bad. So I tend to not even have them on thyroid hormones. If there is a double there where they're both on the LDN and thyroid hormones, again, it's a mixed effect, but I'd say maybe 25% come off their meds. But again, is their thyroid off because they're having the antibodies? Is there something else going on? The patients that are pretty true just Hashimoto's can sometimes come off the medicines just because it's not a hormone problem specifically. It's an autoimmune issue. So when you fix the autoimmune issue, they can regulate themselves. I know that LDN can also help with Graves' disease, just like it can with other autoimmune conditions. But have you seen any Graves' patients 
who were on the LDN? I have a couple. Again, that's it's kind of its own beast because I tend to be a little more delicate with that because you can crash really quickly or, or have a thyroid crisis with it. So it depends. Are they on some type of medicine, prescription med that's going to help them just calm down their thyroid storm? What symptoms are they having? I mean, I use it. I, again, I go really small doses with them. And I also make sure that they, if they are seeing an endocrinologist, that the endocrinologist knows what they're doing because otherwise that could get sticky. One of the things that I've seen the least success with, but it does help. I mean, I use a lot of a couple other tools in my toolbox a little more than LDN, at least initially. Okay. And then when someone's on LDN, can most people eventually get off of it? Like, is the goal for you to work on other areas and then, you know, for them to get off the LDN like six months or a year later? Or is that something where like it's part of like your wellness plan? And on average, I know it differs. I know. Yeah, I know. I'm just trying to think in the the big picture what happens because I would say it's almost 50 50 because patients are like, I feel so much better on it and I have no side effects. It's not expensive. I might as well stay on it. I would say, so it's probably 50 50 the patients that come off of it. I mean, I have patients on usually a minimum of three months, usually six months. And I tell them from the get-go that if we're going to do this, you're going to expect to be on this for six months. Otherwise, there's no point in doing it. But I would say it's 50-50. I mean, I literally have a ton of patients that I see them every six months. They feel great. They're like, why am I going to get rid of this? And now there's some other studies coming out of LDN in terms of anti-aging and longevity and other things. That's probably going to switch more to that as the studies come out. And I think I heard you say early Lyme disease. Do you give it to some, or maybe you just said you work with Lyme patients, but is LDN something that you would recommend for someone with Lyme yeah. or Bartonella? Lyme is an autoimmune issue. And again, it's great because it helps with pain. It helps with brain fog. It helps to reset the microglia, which any patient with Lyme who has any type of cognitive issues it works with. So yeah, I use a lot of it. I mean, I use it almost any type of chronic illness patient just because of, again, it just hits so many broad stroke things. That just makes it so useful. But again, it was a Lyme patient. It's something that's part of an overall program. Like I've had Hashimoto's patients, they're just on LDN and they get better. Most Lyme patients, it's not going to work that way. Okay. Hey, this is Dr. Eric. And if you're looking to do everything you can to save your thyroid gland, in addition to listening to this podcast, there are a few different ways we can help you. First of all, I've written a book on hyperthyroidism called Natural Treatment Solutions for Hyperthyroidism and Graves Disease, as well as a book called Hashimoto's Triggers, which of course is on Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And you can find both of these on Amazon, as well as other websites where books are sold. Second, you could also join my Graves Disease and Hashimoto's Healing Community by visiting autoimmunethyroidgroup.com. And finally, if you want to get personal help from me, you could visit the website workwithdrerick.com. Just to let you know, I only see a limited number of new patients each month, and I do require anyone interested to complete a brief online application before working with me. And now back to the show. All right. Before we move on to peptides, is there anything else that I should have asked you about LDN, or is there anything else you want to say that you think is like really urgent for people to know? I mean, anything I would say is understand that most patients are going to ask when they're going to notice the benefits. I would say most patients is four to six weeks. Some of the data will say three months. And the other thing I would want people to know is 
I'm pretty aggressive with it. I'm pretty comfortable with it. I've been dealing with it for multiple years now. If you are on steroids long-term, not just acutely or on some type of autoimmune medication, anything from methotrexate, so something like a Remicade, you do want to let the doctors prescribing it know about it because there are some people who want to be aware of that and some people want you to stop it. Or at least we'll talk to me and say, look, hey, what's the deal? You'll monitor this, I'll monitor that, and we'll go from there. But it's something that it used to be a lot more restrictive in what you want to use it for. And now we just keep pushing the boundaries because we see there's really not a, a huge issue. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that about LDN. And let's move on to peptides. So, you know, if you could briefly, you know, explain what peptides are and when you use them in your practice. That's it. Let's make it try to summarize it in a, like a paragraph here really hard at this point. So peptides are small groups of amino acids. They exert their effect at a specific hormone, a specific enzyme system, a specific location, which makes them very efficient because it's more specific than just taking like an ibuprofen. They can be used now for almost anything. We use them now for anything from brain fog to erectile dysfunction to fatigue to rotator cuff tendonitis. So they have a really broad scope of what you can use them for. And now they're pretty much available in any form, everything from hair gel to injection to IV to creams to nose sprays. I mean, it's changed where it's pretty much injection or nothing about a couple of years ago. Uh, How do you typically administer them? Do you administer them different ways or is it mostly injection or orally? Yeah, it depends on which one we're taking and what they're taking it for. Some aren't only available in injection, some are only available orally. I mean, in a vacuum, if there's multiple choices, we usually recommend injection since it's more absorbable or bypasses the gut. And there's a group of them that are available both oral and injection-wise. So it's perfect well we tell patients to do the injection if they feel comfortable doing that. Two years ago, three years ago, most patients didn't love doing injections. Now, patients would be like, oh, no, I inject myself all the time, and I feel comfortable doing it here, here, here. The feel has definitely changed in terms of patient self-administering meds, which wasn't really common a couple of years ago. Okay. You kind of answered one of the questions I was going to ask you, which is, do you administer the injections in your office or do they self-inject? But it sounds like that maybe initially they go to your office and you know and you show them how to use it or inject them. But then from that point on, they could do it on their own? Yeah. No, I mean, I have maybe two patients who come to the office and get injected. I mean, first of all, I had two patients all over the world. So they're not obviously not logistically coming here. Secondly, it's not that hard. It's a baby insulin syringe. So yeah, most patients will inject themselves. We have a couple that are needle phobic. And then again, there's other forms, creams, pills. You can pivot now. and But otherwise, I mean, most people, and I have patients who are injecting three, four or five a, a day. It's gone the other way from what it used to be. And they're fairly safe, I assume. Are there any side effects that people should be aware of? That's kind of the elephant in the room at this point, not in the sense that some are known safer than others. Like if you talk about LDN or prescription medications or even a lot of supplements, there's some good studies out there. There aren't as many studies on peptides long-term. The ones that we get a little bit concerned about because there is the theory of cancer is growth. the ones that boost growth hormone, even though there's no specific study that shows it. We know anytime the growth hormone gets increased, there is a chance for increasing risk of any type of cancer you may have. So we will discuss that with the patient. And what we do there with a lot of those types of peptides, we'll do a max of three months at a time, which is called the cycle. You're not doing almost any of the peptides in perpetuity. 
to limit that risk. There are also ones that work on the thymus. Again, there's a chance of potential. I mean, it's never been proven. It used to be prescription medication, but there's a slight chance. Again, we do it for three months. Those are called thymus and alpha-1, which actually doesn't even exist anymore. It's been banned by the FDA, not because of side effects, but because of, unfortunately, false people were promising the world with it, and it, it wasn't true, which is a whole other issue. People just on social media now tend to say think, they, things can do things that they can't, and then they get everybody in trouble. The bad kid in school. And then also there's one called BPC and TB500, which are inflammation peptides mostly. That is mostly a Reddit thing. It's amazing now, which, you know, the Reddit groups and Facebook groups that somebody will find some study done on some rare animal that showed one thing, which has nothing to do with humans, and then they'll put it out there. So there's the supposition it may happen. There's no human data or even mouse data, which is kind of the step below that we'll tend to look at that it may cause cancer, but it's out there and it, people will find that one Reddit group and they'll show it to me. But again, we're doing those for three months and that's it. The patients are aware of those side effects. That sounds scary, but again, there's no evidence with any of those peptides that it happens. And there's, I prescribed them for years. It's hundreds of, probably thousands of doctors throughout the US who prescribe them. There's not really a reported case of it. It's just, unfortunately, now a lot of people do the Dr. Google thing and they find things and we either have to talk them, explain it to them, or they just move on. We do other things. That's a long-winded answer. Most of the other ones are pretty safe and have really very minimal side effects. The main thing that we're concerned about is just a reaction like you can to anything. You can have a histamine reaction to something. You may feel a little nauseous when you get an injection, but that can happen with LDN. That can happen with supplements. That can happen with prescriptions. I mean, that's usually the big question that we get because somebody will see it on a podcast or again, a Reddit or Facebook group, again, things are kind of the paradigm is flipped where most patients are doing their own research and then they're coming to you saying, I want to do this or that, as opposed to they're like, what can I do for my rheumatoid arthritis? It's kind of been interesting over the last couple of years. And uh, well, peptides similar to LDN in that you're not just giving the person peptides, you're doing other things from a functional medicine perspective. I mean, it depends. It's actually that one, again, depends if I'm doing it for a quote unquote functional medicine thing or I mean, I also do a lot of sports medicine, you mentioned in the intro. And if I have somebody who has a rotator cuff tear that hasn't improved, I may just do the peptide and maybe some physical therapy. But I also use a peptide series of my Lyme patient. In that case, I'm doing the whole package deal, like not just one thing. So it depends. What's great about the peptides is they treat so many different things. So if it's a chronic illness patient, yes. If it's somebody who has hair loss, we're not doing as much which is, again, what makes them really great. Okay, that makes sense. And so most people listening to this have a thyroid or autoimmune thyroid condition. So what would be, let's say, like two or three of the top peptides you would give someone with, you know, Hashimoto's or Graves' disease or a non-autoimmune thyroid condition maybe? I mean, in terms of autoimmune, like a Hashimoto's patient, I mean, again, we're going to work on the immune system first, and that's going to be thymulin which is now I mentioned the one thymus one, which doesn't exist anymore. So thymulin is it's kind of its little cousin that we use. It works pretty well. Beyond that, we use a peptide called BBC-157 since a lot of gut and immune issues overlap. Could be gut issue can cause an autoimmune issue, especially things like Hashimoto's is a connection with gut infections. And so I'm sure you've dealt with that numerous times on, throughout the podcast. But that's probably our second goal with it is using either BPC or a peptide called KPV which again, will help heal the gut, but also has been shown to help 
with mast cell issues, which is patients who don't do well with histamine, which sometimes overlaps all autoimmune conditions, depending on what school of thought you are. There's people, more and more studies coming out, like from Afrin and Dr. Afrin, a couple of the mast cell giants, that there's a huge connection between mast cell and the autoimmune and the immune system and autoimmune issues. Depends on, again, what school of thought you're from. That's probably the two or three that I, I tend to use if there's no other complaints. And then we kind of will go from there if there's other overlying issues. Cool. And just like I asked you with LDN, with peptides, is it something that people will continuously take on average or is it something that someone will take? Like you mentioned hair loss. Do they take it for you know three months or six months and the hair grows back and then they stop it? And I guess same thing with autoimmunity. Is it where it's a temporary or more of a long-term thing? No, like I mentioned at the beginning when I, is what I said in that Usually we do what are two terms that we use for one, we're doing cycles. So usually three to four months of any peptide. Um, And then we also do stacks, which means that we're using combining more than one peptide together to get a better benefit than we would with each one individually. And then we're also cycling through. So I may do for the first two months, do BPC and Thymulin. And then I may stop that after two or three months and then switch to KPV for the next two or three months. But in most cases, patients are not on peptides in perpetuity. They're taking breaks for the reasons. One, because you can get, in theory, some what they call tachyphylaxis. I mean, you're just not going to respond as well the first month as you are. You're not going to respond as well the fifth month as you are the first month. So again, that benefit is slim. And also, they're not cheap. I mean, LDN, you can get, depending on where you are, 40 to $60. Some peptides could be eight $900 a month. So most patients... Again, unless you're noticing a huge benefit, don't want to be spending $800 to $3,000 a month on medicine. That's not really helping them. So yeah, usually it's two or three months. I mean, again, the only things I'll tend to do a little longer for is if patients who have pain complaints and we're just trying to clean things up. And that's kind of a more low. If you're a rotator cuff tear, you're treating until the end and then it's a finite end. But again, somebody's autoimmune, you're going on and off usually. Okay. So it sounds like LDN is more longer term. And part of that is, I mean, the cost, but also autoimmunity. It's, you know, it's not something that's going to be resolved within like two or three months, whereas like peptides, you know, a combination of the cost, as you said. And then, you know, again, it's something that even besides the cost, usually you said it's like three or four month cycle. So you usually won't have someone on peptides for like six consecutive months or longer where that wouldn't be uncommon with LDN. Yeah, exactly. And also, I know functional products find the best analogy, but the one I use is sometimes it's kind of if you have a low back pain and you take ibuprofen for a month every year just because it acts up when you're shoveling snow or raking leaves. If your shoulder pain comes back or your bloating comes back, then yeah, you're okay. I'm going to hop back on this for two or three months and then go on my daily lifestyle regimen. But again, yeah, LDN is definitely a much more, usually a longer term medication. LDN is like vitamin D or testosterone where it doesn't save up. If you stop it, then it's gone and then you got to start all over again. Well, while the peptides will tend to, they're causing more of a result and that may be more life lasting, I guess best way I can put it that way. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense with any medication. Typically, if you stop taking it, you're going to lose the benefits. I mean, some things obviously like antibiotics, you're taking for an infection for uh, hopefully a short amount of time, even though that even that could be longer time, like for chronic Lyme in some cases and all that. But anyway, that all makes sense. And, you know, thanks for explaining. Is there anything else that you didn't mention on peptides that you think is important for the listeners to know? 
I think we hit almost everything. Two or three things I would mention would be when you're talking to somebody about, first of all, be careful ordering peptides. There's so many sites out there that are not regulated by anybody and they may be cheaper, but you buyer beware. I mean, they're getting their product that's out of the country. If you're getting it from a compounding pharmacy, you know they're regulated by state and local government. They're being screened. You know what you're getting. It has to have certification with it. So that's the first thing I would mention in terms of that. Make sure, like especially everything in the supplement community, things kind of become the wild, wild west. You want to get products from a quality source. You want to work with somebody who's experienced because there's a lot of nuance to a lot of this stuff. I, I see patients who come in, oh, I'm on these five peptides at this dose. I'm like, these doses make absolutely no sense. And you could tell that whoever prescribed them had no idea what they were doing. So it's one of these things where LDN, it's honestly pretty hard to mess up. But peptides are more of an art to a lot of them of knowing how to implement them. And the last thing I would say is kind of understand when you talk to the doctor about them, make sure you answer these three questions. What is your goal with the peptides? Understand that they are going to have some pretty dramatic effects. So Make sure if you're willing to only do one or two, let the doctor know. Because again, I have patients who come in on five or six different ones and they are like, I feel horrible. I'm like, sure, on too many. And again, I, like I said, make sure you understand the cost and that you're going to be on them for multiple months because I have patients who be like, well, I can't afford that the next month. Then it's not something. I'm like, you need to try something else. It's not something that the peptides aren't going to work for you in two weeks usually. It's something usually you're going to be doing for two or three months. And if you can't embark on that journey, let me know now. And I'm glad, again, luckily now I have seven other things in my toolbox. They can say, okay, we're not going to do this. And we may switch it to LDN, which is cheaper. And it can do a lot of the same things and get the benefits you want without having you worry about a needle and stuff like that. All right. Well, thank you. That was very helpful. And you know, before we wrap things up, uh, I have a question about craniosacral therapy, because I know you know you do that in your practice. And you know I've been fascinated by it. They have some techniques in chiropractic where um, that related to craniosacral and who in your experience would be a good fit for craniosacral? And this m- might be a broad category, but are there yeah. like, you know, if someone's having like brain fog in general or, you know, cognitive symptoms in general, or is it more like specific conditions? I'm trying to think how to answer that because again, when I started doing it 15, 17 years, like there was no LDN, there were no peptides, there was no hyperbaric chambers or nobody's really talking about gut chambers, gut health and all that stuff. It wasn't there. So the paradigm has kind of totally changed. I think it definitely has a niche in anything. It's definitely a much slower and steadier progress. It's not something where in most cases you're like, oh my God, this is better. It's much better. What I think still has a really good niche too is, is it somebody who's had a concussion, somebody who has a neck or head injury, patients who have like what they call EDS or Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or a fascial issue, because that is a pretty much an A to B situation where if you kind of get things reset or somebody like it's happened to me where I hit my head on the car door and then I was just a little dizzy and then I had I was treated. And wow, I felt hundred percent better. So it's great for like an injury type situation. In terms of brain fog or fatigue, it's definitely a help but it's not going to be a home run usually for most patients, but it's a nice add-on. It's just gotten harder and harder, at least where I'm in Manhattan, to find good providers. But it's something you could definitely look into. It's much gentler. There's no injections. There's no medication involved. It's somebody putting their hands on you. I mean, I think it's really good for actually, just because it's allergy season still where I am, uh, like sinus issues and that type of thing. 
those are really where it has a really good niche for it. Yeah, that's actually really good to know because yeah, a lot of people do have sinus issues. So that's great. And all right. Well, thank you for sharing this, you know, Dr. Neil. And where can people find out more about you? You have a practice, as you said, in Manhattan, but you also work with people throughout the world. Can you share your website and anything else you'd like to mention? Yeah, I mean, the simplest ways to find out about me now are go to the website, drpaulvin.com, doctor spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R, my last name, P-A-U-L-V-I-N.com. I have a lot of information on there. We're redoing it, trying to get some more newer things on there. And the YouTube channel, which is Dr. Paulvin, and the Instagram channel, which is also Dr. Paulvin. Got a flow there. So yeah, those are the easiest ways. And we have a newsletter on there. So depending on how much of deep dive, we've got a lot, I've been told there's a lot of information on there. So uh, it may take a while, but that's the way to reach out to me in terms of what we do. And if you have any questions about trying to be seen either virtually or in the office in Manhattan. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Dr. Paulvin. Appreciate you sharing your knowledge when it comes to low-dose naltrexone, as well as peptides and a little bit on craniosacral. I do appreciate it. Oh, great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics. And to get your free thyroid and immune health restoration action points checklist, visit SaveMyThyroidChecklist.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. That was a great interview with Dr. Paulvin. On a side note, I grew up in Queens, New York, and I'm definitely glad my practice isn't in New York City. Now, don't get me wrong as I love visiting New York, but I don't think I could deal with all the noise pollution on a regular basis. Of course, some places are worse than others, and it's not like it's not more noisy in the downtown area of Charlotte, which is where I live, and I live in Matthews, which is in the outskirts of Charlotte. Although I will say that without question, they honk their horns much more in New York City than in North Carolina. Not just New York City, but New York in general. I mean, here they rarely honk their horns. And I noticed that also in other areas, other cities down south, whereas as soon as you get up north, they definitely honk their horns more frequently. Now, getting back to the interview, on the podcast, I put together a solo episode on low-dose naltrexone, but it's nice to get the perspective of someone who actually prescribes it. And while Dr. Paulvin said that he recommends LDN to the majority of his autoimmune patients, I found it interesting when he said he found that it isn't as effective in Graves' disease patients. I say a lot how LDN is hit or miss, and so I guess it's not just me. I can't say that I've had a lot of Graves' patients take LDN over the years, but I've had enough take it to conclude that sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. It was also good to learn that LDN can benefit people with chronic Lyme disease as well. As for peptides, I didn't realize how expensive they are, as I believe he said $800 to $3,000 per month. Obviously, if the peptides are helping, it will be worth it to some people. And I'm guessing that over the years, the price will go down, although I could be wrong about that. I wasn't sure if I was going to ask him about craniosacral therapy, as before I started recording the interview, I asked him if it in any way relates to thyroid health or autoimmunity, and he said no. But I decided to briefly chat with him about this, as I'm not sure if the opportunity will present itself again. And I'm really fascinated about craniosacral therapy, as there is a chiropractic technique called SOT, which stands for sacral occipital technique. And I learned some of this while in chiropractic school, but I never really used it in practice. Anyway, I have thought about visiting a craniosacral therapist in the future. And so perhaps one day when I visit my family in New York, I'll schedule an appointment with Dr. Paulvin and maybe even get some peptides while I'm there. 
I want to let you know about a product called Hepatomune Supreme, which is a unique supplement that has a rare combination of N-acetylcysteine, also known as NAC, milk thistle, and schisandra to support the liver. And it also has a few mushrooms that can help support the immune system, including cordyceps, which has both immune modulating and adaptogenic properties, and is great for those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's. To learn more about Hepatomune Supreme, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash liver support.